God be in my head and in my understanding. God be in my heart and in my thinking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. Amen. I'd like to preach today on the text, In the Days of His Flesh, Jesus Offered Up Prayers and Supplications. I love my wife. One of the quirks, somebody, I heard somebody say, that's good. Yeah, it is good. Uh, one of the quirks I love the most about her is the tone of voice she gets sometimes when I've done or gotten something nice for her. Her eyes get really wide and her voice gets really small and she asks with incredible surprise and unbelieving gratitude, you got that for me? Now, this may be a hint that I should be nice a little bit more often. <laughs> I mean, it was only a pair of socks, for goodness sake. But more importantly for our purposes, it's an example of complete, accepting, overwhelming thankfulness. Any gift that I give isn't big enough to deserve such a response, but sometimes in our lives, we get much, much bigger gifts. We'll start our journey today, however, at the polar opposite of gratitude. In our reading from Mark's Gospel, James and John certainly don't have the problem of being too thankful. In order to understand a little bit more about uh, James and John, it's not really their fault. The, the, the role of the disciples in Mark's Gospel is to be the foil to Jesus. So no matter what Jesus said, you can guarantee in Mark's gospel the disciples will misunderstand what he tells them and say something really, really stupid in response, at which Jesus will roll his eyes and explain it to them again. Um, the disciples in Mark's gospel really stand in for you and for me uh, in our attempts to understand what Jesus is saying. In the gospel reading today, Jesus has just turned his face toward Jerusalem. He has taken the first step on the road that is going to lead to the cross. He has, in the verse before, the one that Sid started with, he has just told his disciples that he'll be mocked, spit upon, flogged, and killed, and that after three days he'll rise again. In the very next verse, James and John come up to him and say, Master, could you do us a favor and just let us sit on your right hand and your left hand when you come into your glory? And Jesus rolls his eyes and explains to them that they don't understand what they're asking and they don't understand what that means. Um, it's apparent that they haven't listened to a single word that he's just said. It's not even really clear to me that they understand what his glory will be. It's, it's very possible that they're still thinking about an earthly situation where he gets to be a king and they get to be the grand vizier and the vice chancellor. If they have listened to him, it's very clear that they've underestimated the cost of their request. And more importantly for us today, they've under, to, under estimated the magnitude of their request. 
Who is this of whom they're asking this small favor? In order to answer that question, we'll turn to the book of Job and to the reading from Job for this morning. Now, those of us who've been fortunate enough have been spending over a year now uh, studying the book of Job with Julie. And it's really a very engrossing exploration of the meaning of human suffering. But I'm not going to talk about any of that. By the time of our reading today, suffice it to say that Job has gotten a little fresh with God. He's asked God a lot of questions, and God, after 37 chapters of silence, has finally spoken. And God speaks in one of the most magnificent descriptions of transcendent power in the entire Bible. God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? This is not some minor local deity who might be able to help out in a boundary dispute with a neighboring tribe. God is making that very clear. This is the God who makes nature happen. Throughout the rest of the reading from Job, can you command the clouds? Can you put wisdom into the heart of humankind throughout the psalm today. This is the God who makes nature happen. Scaled up to our current day understandings, this is the God of all power, ruler of the universe. So just for today, I will try to stop the Star Trek music in my head when Julie gets up at the altar, and I'll really, really listen when she says the words, at your command, all things came to be, the vast expanse of interstellar space, galaxies, suns, the planets in their courses. This is a big God, a potentially a very busy God. James and John had no idea what they were asking when they asked to sit at God's left and right hand. So how can we possibly understand or relate to something that big, something that enormous? The good news that Mark tells us in his gospel is that God didn't leave it at that. God didn't just set a million galaxies spinning and leave all created creatures here and wherever else they are on their own. God stayed involved. God stayed involved in this world of all worlds. I mean, think of it. I don't do voices like Sid can, but it's like Humphrey Bogart. Of all the gin joints, in all the galaxies, in all the universe, God walked into mine. God walked in the shade of the garden in the cool of the morning with Adam and Eve. God visited Abraham and Sarah. God wrestled with Jacob. 
And finally, God came among God's creatures as one of them, as human flesh and human blood. God came to show us how to behave when we didn't know how to behave. God came us to show the way back to God when we didn't have a path. In Mark's words, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I've already told you that of all the readings for today, one line in the letter of Hebrews particularly grabbed me. The writer pulled together the God beyond us and the God among us, telling us that in the days of his flesh, Jesus did this and Jesus did that. This reminds us that there are days when Jesus is not in the flesh, when Jesus has been made perfect, eternal days before and eternal days after the time that Jesus spent with us. As St. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The God of the entire universe came to this tiny corner of creation to make it right. The transcendent God of Jacob, of Job, and the servant Jesus of Mark are the same God. The great big God stepped aside to help the frailest of God's creatures. Now that enough would certainly be reason for thankfulness. But it doesn't end there. In the book of Acts, we learn that God sent God's spirit into the world to be in the world and among God's people forever. The Apostle Paul tells us that God came to live in the heart of each person. So every single one of us carries within our breast a spark that is a piece of the eternal God. Knowing that, believing that, really feeling that, how can any of us ever look the same way again at ourselves, at our neighbors, or even at grouchy old Aunt Edna? How can we pretend to be disconnected from the tragedies and triumphs of those around us? The God who laid the foundation of the earth came and dwelt in the flesh among us and was himself subject to weakness and left God's spirit to be with us and in each of us always. For that, we should certainly say, you did that for me?